Great. Yeah, Mitch is our producer and he doesn't even listen to the podcast. I'm what listening hope... to the podcast right now. <laughs> what hope what hope, what what hope, do, what we hope do we have beyond the walls of these I'm microphones? Sorry, I can't remember what you were oh god, okay. Uh, <laughs> I love how frustrated you get, Mitch. That cracks me up every single time. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, right. We're doing this now, how okay. <laughs> Helping provide the inspiration and the information to care about your health. This is Who Cares About Men's Health. My name is Scott Singpill. I am the manager of thescoperadio.com, and I care about men's health. And I'm Dr. Troy Madsen. I'm an emergency physician at the University of Utah, and I care about men's health. All right. Today, we're going to talk to Troy about five things that you figure are common sense medical things, but they really aren't true. So, Troy, how long have you been an emergency room physician? You know, Scott, I graduated from medical school in 2003, so I started residency in emergency medicine 17 years ago. It's man, I'm, I I say that, and it makes me feel really old. But it's yeah, been I, 17 years of emergency medicine. So, you know, 14 years since I finished my emergency medicine residency training. So it's been a, been a little while. What's the uh, kind of average career expectancy of somebody in emergency medicine? Because I'd imagine it's not like you know just being a family physician i'd imagine that you know burnout burnout's higher or maybe maybe it not. is a bit it is a bit higher yeah yeah studies have been done and it used to be you know they'd looked out look at burnout in emergency medicine and say well it's because it's a lot of people who didn't train in emergency medicine but then you know i think since then we've seen that yes there is a unfortunately a higher rate of burnout in the er so you don't see a lot of really old er doctors so that's i think i'm starting <laughs> to feel old <laughs> you don't see a lot of the white-haired guys going around you know like talking about the old days 40 years ago it's just just not something you see in the er so yeah an old er doc's talking about the old days 14 years ago so that's right that's- i'm like I feel like the old guy now. There are guys, there are guys older than me, trust me, but uh, I'm I'm starting to feel feel the years. <laughs> so, point being, you've been doing medicine for a long time, and emergency medicine, emergency doctors sometimes see a lot and hear a lot and experience a lot. Uh, some that might make most of us shake our heads, probably make you shake your head as well. Uh, and today, Troy came up with a topic which I just absolutely love, and I would love it if you'd shared this with us. So, common sense that doesn't make sense. So. In your experience as an ER doc, these are five things that you have seen and heard from people and patients that think are common sense medical things, but aren't really true. That's right. These are things that I grew up believing. And maybe even in medical school, I still thought, yeah, this 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 makes sense to me. It's common sense. These are things maybe your mom told you as a kid, like, oh, you need to do this if this happens. Or it's just stuff your friends have told you, maybe even a doctor told you at some point. But from my perspective, as an emergency physician who deals with certain things and sees these things, it's just, you know, from my practice, it, it doesn't make sense. These are things I've heard. And then I've heard them again when I'm as, as after years of experience, I'm like, wait a sec, I believe that at one point, but it doesn't make any sense. It's not something you really need to know or you really need to to pay a lot of attention to. All right. So we're going to run down through this list right here. And some of them, like, <laughs> really, that's not true. Like number one here, for example. Yeah, I read number one using rubbing alcohol to clean wounds. Yeah. Is on I mean, some of y'all was here. Yeah, uh, things that just don't make, you know, common sense. It doesn't make sense. So that's not true. That's not what I, that's what I did all the time. That's what my mom did all the time. Oh, I know. Me too. Do you put rubbing alcohol on your wounds now still? I mean, is that something you do? 
I, you know, I don't live a life that I end up with a lot of wounds. But I very vividly. But if I was to get, if I was to get one, I would come home. I'd get a cotton swab or a cotton pad. I'd probably put rubbing alcohol on it, and I'd try to clean yeah. it up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You've got to get that wound clean. And that's what you're thinking. Like, what better thing to do than pour some rubbing alcohol on it and just scrub that thing out? And, you you know, you imagine <laughs> you think back as a kid, just the pain and agony from that, like your mom grabbing some grabbing some rubbing alcohol and rubbing it on your wound or, you know, that sort of thing. It's like, well, you got to get it clean or even soap, like just getting like a bar of soap and rubbing it on a cut or just like scrubbing it in there. It's not something we do. And it's not only not something we do in the ER, it's something I tell people not to do. You know, if you get a wound, let's say you get a wound on your hand, and there have been a lot of great studies done on this. All you have to do is run that wound under some kind of lukewarm tap water for five minutes. That does a great job. It washes it out. It gets it clean. You know, if you do have a lot of debris and dirt and rock stuck in the skin, maybe you do have to get a, a little scrubbing brush, or, you know, something really that's not going to tear the tissue apart, but something to kind of rub that stuff out. But you don't want to use rubbing alcohol. And the reason I say that is because rubbing alcohol or a lot of these things kills a lot of that healthy tissue in there. So that can actually affect the wound healing and even make things worse than if you just did nothing. Uh, just putting that rubbing al alcohol in there can do some damage. So I tell people, hmm. don't put rubbing alcohol in just run it under some nice lukewarm water for five minutes. Just get things irrigated really well with that. It doesn't have to be sterile water. You know, you don't have to boil the water on the stove for five minutes. Just tap water is perfectly fine. It's going to clean the wound out great and keep that healthy tissue there. All right. And uh, if cleaning out the debris, if you just want to be gentle, it sounds to me like you don't want to get yeah. in there and really make sure better to have a little debris. I mean, is that damaging the tissue as well? If you get in there and just even without rubbing alcohol, just really scrub. Yeah, it, it's it's a tough balance because it's like, yeah, you got debris in there and you got maybe some chewed up tissue that's just going to die off anyway. But you don't want to just get in there and just really scrub it super hard. I mean, that's sometimes right. is just going to tear things apart and damage the healthy tissue you've got there. All right. Common sense. It doesn't make sense. This is five things you figure are common sense uh, from a medical standpoint, but they aren't true. Troy has encountered people that still believe that they are true. He even believes some of this stuff. I even believe some of this stuff. Like number two. Know your blood type. Yeah. Right. I think I, I have a memory that back in the day, didn't they have blood type bracelets? Right. Yeah. You can have cards you carry in your wallet because you know your blood type, right? Yeah. I'm a positive. Yeah. I know. Because I, I know you know that because you say you have like special baby blood or something like that. <laughs> well, that's because, well, first of all, I know my blood type because I donate blood, but I also have yeah. baby saving blood because apparently I don't have some virus or something that most adults have. I don't know what it okay. is. I'm pure. You're pure. I'm pure. Yeah, I'm pure you don't you don't have the coronavirus. You are pure. No, no. So but I don't the average person doesn't need to know their blood type. That's not something I'm gonna be asked if I'm in an accident. Hey, what's your blood type? The reality is if you come to the ER and you need a blood transfusion, there is absolutely no way I would ever trust you to tell me your blood type. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would give you the blood. Like Scott comes in, he's like A plus. Okay, let's order up some A plus, A positive blood for Scott. <laughs> Because if I gave you the wrong blood and you told me I'm A positive and you're not A positive, you're B positive or AB positive or AB negative, and I gave you the wrong blood, I could kill you. That would be oh. a, a really, really, really bad thing. So the reality is you don't need to know your blood type. You're never going to get a blood transfusion based on what you say your blood type is. We're either going to give you blood that's, you know, it's what we call universal donor blood. 
it's essentially the blood type that is okay for anyone to receive. Or if it's not an emergent thing like that and we've got time, we'll do we'll do cross match blood. What that means is we just test your blood, tell what type it is, and then we get you that type right then. So it's gotcha. uh, yeah, again, like I said, it, it just always, always kept, I can't say it kept me up at night, but it worried me as a, as a young boy, you know, I didn't know my blood type, what's going to happen. So, well, that's interesting. All right. And it makes total sense too. Uh, yeah. common sense. It doesn't make sense. Number three, speaking of the ER, this was a, this was a favorite one of moms everywhere, including my mom. Uh, you better wear clean underwear in case you yeah. end up in the ER. I always thought this was just a vanity thing. Did other people have the impression it's a health thing or is it always just a vanity thing? Oh, it's a vanity <laughs> thing, but it's, it's one of, yeah, <laughs> but you always hear it too. Like you better wear clean underwear because if you end up in the ER and you've got dirty underwear on, it's like, yeah, sorry, I mean, who, can't help you. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's, it's this idea that you're just going to be absolutely humiliated, like going in the ER and like, Oh, I haven't changed my underwear in three days. <laughs> and you're going to have nurses pointing their finger at you and like, look at this dirty little kid or something. <laughs> it's like, no one cares. I mean, honestly, no one cares. Number one, no one's going to look at your underwear, but if the only time we ever see anyone's underwear is if they come in, you know, like as a critical patient or a trauma patient, and there, it's like, I'm not looking at their underwear there. If they're a trauma patient, we've got these scissors, trauma shears. We're just cutting their clothes off all in yeah. one fell swoop and everything just gets bundled up and tossed in the bag. I don't care. Like I said, it not all gets your bundled up. Yeah. It's not. It's just, you know, no one's going to look at your underwear or judge you for your underwear, whether it's clean or not. All right. That was a, that was a fun one. Number four, getting a little bit back more to the seriousness. Um you should go to the ER if you have high blood pressure so you don't have a stroke. Now, I can't say that I believe this, so okay. I'm hard-pressed to believe what situation this arises in. So maybe you could shed some light on that. Well, have you ever checked your blood pressure, like just gone to the grocery store or at a pharmacy and sat down at one of those machines and it squeezes on your arm and tells you your blood pressure? Is that, is that yeah. something you ever do? Yeah. 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 Yeah, usually, so usually screwing around, but you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, hey, what's my blood pressure today? It is not at all uncommon for us to have people come into the ER who have done that exact thing and they checked their blood pressure and they got a high reading. The reality is, number one, we don't base a whole lot off a single blood pressure reading. Like people's blood pressures fluctuate when you're exercising. You know, if you've been kind of worked up, like it was you, you walked in from outside and it was hot outside, maybe that raised your blood pressure. But the other reality is that you're, you're not going to have a stroke from like just high blood pressure like that. It's not going to just somehow cause you to rupture an aneurysm necessarily or do something like that. It's one of those things where um, the body tends to respond pretty well to fluctuations in blood pressure. And unless you're having other symptoms with high blood pressure like chest pain or stroke-like symptoms like numbness, weakness, difficulty speaking, anything like that, just a single blood pressure reading at a grocery store or pharmacy or home blood pressure cuff. It's not a reason you have to rush to the ER. You know, you could call your doctor. You could see them in a week or two. They may check your blood pressure there. And even then, they're probably going to say, well, let's see what your blood pressure does over the next three months. We're not going to start you on medication. Let's just keep an eye on it. And then we'll see what it does over the next few months and then kind of make some decisions from there. So, All right. so yeah. without the symptoms, if your blood pressure comes back a little high, uh, don't worry about it uh, too much. Maybe check it again a little bit later uh, if it's a home exactly. cough. Um, okay, that's good advice. And, and, and that's a great, and you know what happens 90% of the time when people come in with high blood pressure, maybe they're in the waiting room as they get in triage, they do have a high blood pressure. 
We get them back to a room, turn the lights down, let them relax, check their blood pressure 30 minutes to an hour later, and it's come down. And it's kind of like, well, you know, we don't need to start medication, don't need to rush to do anything. Sometimes just different things make our blood pressure fluctuate. So like I said, it's it's one of those things where I, we see it often enough that it's certainly, I think people worry about that, but no, no reason to rush right into to get things checked out. Is there a number that I should be concerned about? <laughs> Is no, like a, I'm not going to say oh, okay. any number. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Well, that's that no other symptoms part. That's the key. That's there. the important piece. Yeah. As long as no other symptoms. Five things you figure are common medical sense, but they aren't really true. This is common sense. It doesn't make sense. And we are to number five on Troy's list. Uh, get an annual physical to get a clean bill of health. Uh, yeah. yeah, I've heard I've heard this before, um, but that's not true. That's, I mean, that's going to make a lot of guys feel good because, I mean, we don't necessarily want to go in every year, do we? I mean, does that mean we don't have to go in every year? Well, I think the common sense that doesn't make sense piece of this is this whole idea of a clean bill of health. Like occasionally I'll see people in the ER who are like, you know, they're coming in with chest pain and they say, well, you know, I just saw my doctor last month and he gave me a clean bill of health. <laughs> so like so it's going to be like a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's kind of this idea like, you know, I saw my doctor, he listened to my lungs and my heart maybe did a little bit of blood work. You've got a clean bill of health. It's just, it's a funny term because, you know, because you think about that you're like, wow, that's, that sounds really reassuring. It means everything's good. It means I must be healthy. There are no impending heart attacks or strokes, but there's no way of predicting those things. You know, you could go to your doctor and get your annual physical and get, you know, whatever you might consider a clean bill of health. They say everything checked out. Your blood work looked okay. You could still walk out the door and have a heart attack. You know, it's nothing about their testing is going to be enough to predict whether or not you could have a heart attack within the next, you know, hour, two hours or week or month or whatever it is. So I guess kind of the point of that isn't to say don't get an annual physical. It's more to say this whole idea of a clean bill of health really doesn't hold a lot of weight. What gotcha. it basically, yeah, I mean, basically what it's telling you is during the visit, things looked okay. Your vital signs look good. Everything checked out. Stuff can still go wrong. You could still have strokes, heart attacks, et cetera. So it's still a reason to take those symptoms seriously if you do have those, even if you just saw your doctor a week ago. Gotcha. So the the danger for the average person is I was my doctor a month ago. He said I had a clean bill of health. Now, somebody has these symptoms and they're like, well, it, it can't be anything. I have a clean bill of health. It's yeah. right here. Yeah. It says on this piece of paper. It says I have a clean bill of health. <laughs> so I must be fine. So then people will ignore those symptoms to their detriment. I would yeah. Imagine. Yeah. They ignore yeah. those or yeah. Or they, you know, it may create a false sense of reassurance. And get that annual physical because, the, you know, it, it, sure, it might not predict that you could come become sick a week or two from now. But a lot of times those numbers that they get can actually start to recognize a trend that you can turn around, uh, as in Troy's case with cholesterol and my case with my higher blood sugar. So. Yeah, that's exact. And that's, and yeah, that's, that's kind of, I, I want to be careful there because in saying the common sense, it doesn't make sense. The annual physical makes sense. I, I mean, yeah. So I think you, you want to do that to predict stuff and prevent stuff down the road and potentially uncover issues. But if it doesn't uncover an issue, stuff can still go wrong. All right, there you go. Five things that you figure are common medical sense, but really aren't true. Common sense, it doesn't make sense, according to emergency room physician, Dr. Troy Madsen. Any final uh, thoughts as we wrap up this segment of the show? Who cares about men's health? Like I said, these are all things that are just funny thoughts I've had over the years of stuff that, that I've just thought, you know, this used to be a really big deal for me. I used to think a lot about this, and now I realize it's not worth worrying about. It doesn't make any sense. So, 
Maybe you've had some other ideas, other questions that you've wondered about, like, is this really something I should worry about? Uh, is this a, you know, sort of a medical myth? You know, feel free always to contact us at hello at the scope radio.com or reach out to us on Facebook. And I'd love to get your questions and, and explore some more of these things as well. And I would sing it, but I. Troy, do the honors of singing. You've been thunderbolt. I can't do that, Scott. Come on. Thunderbolt. I have to maintain some sense of dignity. Thunderbolt. I'm sorry. I can't. I think you already did it. All right, Troy, excited again to have Thunder. Thunder is back. We love it when Thunder comes on the show. He's our resident nutritionist here at Who Cares About Men's Health. Thunder Jalili on the show. Yeah, Thunder. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) Where else do you go in life? Do people applaud you like that when you show up? I'm pretty sure you you two are the only ones. Yeah, Yeah. well, me. I mean, Troy, he never claps for anybody. (laughs) He didn't even applaud. Okay, so it's only you, Scott. It was just Scott, but I, I I was clapping in my heart for you, Thunder. (laughs) All right. We have a listener question. That's why we brought Thunder on the episode today. So um, how can you gradually improve your eating habits? That is one of the questions that we got. Um, You know, there's a lot of ways to contact us, which we'll give you at the end of the podcast. But, you know, this individual's interested in improving their eating habits, just doesn't quite know where to start. Where do you start? You just the next day decide, oh, I'm eating healthy. Let's go. Is that what you do? No, I think it's really hard to do anything cold turkey like that. I think, uh, you know, we're kind of creatures of habit. So really what we have to look at is how do we build new habits? And that requires maybe making some smaller changes and 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 uh, and going from there. Um, so, you know, how what what would I tell someone who wants to try to improve their eating habits? Well, first, I would say, take a look at, you know, how much natural versus processed foods you consume. And how many, you know, beverages that may contain sugar you consume. And pick a couple of the low-hanging fruit, easy things to modify and go with that. And then uh, build on that, you know, over time a little bit. Because it is really hard, especially if you're not sure how to eat well, to just wake up one day and say, it's all over. I'm going to the store and all I'm buying is, you know, quinoa and like green beans, (laughs) You have, to, you have to build up into it. So that, that would be my advice. And, and I find that when people uh, start doing that and they kind of get kind of used to maybe a different way of shopping, a different way of preparing food, then they can, you know, the, the, like a snowball rolling effect. They can kind of build on it and, and it increases over time. But it is daunting if you just like try to go all in in, in one day because you don't even know like what to buy, how to cook, when to eat, everything. Yeah. Cold turkey never seems to work well. Like it's like that zero to 60 thing, just kind of like, you know, same thing, like someone going out, like I'm going to run a marathon. So they go out and run 10 miles and they're injured and then they're just done. It's just, you know, (laughs) it seems like the same thing happens with diet. You're just like, I'm just going to go cold turkey and eat great. And yeah, it seems like people are miserable. It just doesn't go well. Interesting take. So um, instead of at first, it's just kind of get rid of some of the stuff that's not optimal Yes. Uh, just uh, one or two of the things you don't have to all of a sudden get rid of all of it, but maybe you just decide, all right, a couple of meals this week, I'm going to try to get rid of some of this suboptimal stuff and replace it with something that's a little bit better. And I'm going to also say thunder, at least from my experience, you got to be kind to yourself because at first yeah. you're not going to get it right. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have moments of weaknesses. 
um, you know, so don't beat yourself up. Just go, all right, well, try again, you know, next time. Yeah. So, I'm and if, I could, if I could give like a quick concrete example too, because this is something I've talked to people about, like, you know, there's, there is like a bigger push kind of, I guess, in, in society that maybe we should eat less meat, you know, some of the health effects associated, you know, with, with meat intake. Um, so, you know, I've had people say, well, you know, I'm not really sure, you know, if I don't eat meat, what do I eat? You know, I don't know what kind of foods to eat, you know, and I tell them, well, why don't you try to pick one meal in one day and make that a vegetarian meal? And if that works out, then try to pick one day and make that your vegetarian day. And this just gives you time to think about it and practice a little bit and buy some different foods and, and build into it. Then you can just keep adding days. So, um, I think that is, is a good way to go because if you tell somebody using the meat example, you're going to go vegetarian starting in an hour, you know, <laughs> they're like, okay, all the only thing I can figure out is I'm going to have cereal for every meal today. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When I went vegetarian, I just tried to replace everything that was meat with non-meat. So I used to eat turkey sandwiches every day, grilled turkey sandwiches. So I bought, bought all this tofurkey, like this tofu turkey, <laughs> this, this, this soy, soy turkey and, yeah, that was disgusting. <laughs> so, it often doesn't go well. You're right. <laughs> Time for just going to leave this here. It might have something to do with health or it could be something completely random. Just going to leave this here. I've been kind of into sayings lately, Troy. So I'm going to throw another saying down for just going to leave this here. Might be a new paradigm to look at something if you've uh, recently found yourself kind of at square one again on a project or, I mean, for a lot of people, COVID has kind of put them back. Um, and I like this. It says, don't be afraid to start over again. This time you're not starting from scratch. You're starting from experience. Hmm. So I, I like that. So just try to think about, you know, you're at a different place when you start something over again. And that different place is actually going to help you make the next, you know, next part better. So I like that. Wanted to share it. Hopefully it helps somebody out that's listening. Scott, I'm just going to leave this here. You know, I mentioned recently on our podcast that we have a pull-up bar outside the ER. It sits outside <laughs> the ER right there in the ambulance bay. I have been very intimidated to go out there and try and do pull-ups on it. But I've taken a couple of steps in my life recently, Scott. Step number one was during shifts, if I'm just kind of hit that lull like halfway through the shift, I go out there and I do a few pull-ups. Oh, fortunately, none of the EMTs have been out there who are generally pretty big guys. <laughs> Make it look easy, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So fortunately, none of them have been out there to laugh at me and no ambulance of ambulances have pulled up while I'm doing it. But the other thing I've done, Scott, is I actually got a pull-up bar. So I'm now doing pull-ups at oh. home too. So, oh. you know. I want to know more about that. Is that one of those indoor pull-up bars or where is it? It's indoors. It goes over the door frame. It's got like a wide pull up, you know, kind of your arms wide and then a, a, a handle for sort of more closer arms. And, I, you know, you definitely find doing this when you do the wide arms. Those are tough. Um, when your hands are in closer together, it's a little bit easier doing the pull up. But I've been doing it now for a couple of weeks. I like it. Does the pull up bar feel safe and secure? The it, one that you put in between the doorway? It does. Yeah, it does okay. feel safe and secure. I was a little concerned about that, but the way it's set up, it loops up over the door frame and it's got these pads. So as long as you have it set up correctly and it shows you the diagram to make sure it's safe and it's not going to flip off the door door frame or something, 
it it's been fine for me. And I've been using it for a couple of weeks. Haven't had any issues. Yeah, I've been thinking about getting one of those pull up bars because you talk to just about anybody that knows stuff about exercise and, you know, doing resistance training. That is kind of, you know, one of the king big exercises, the king of back exercises, because you're using so many of those back muscles. So, yeah. It's great. Uh, no, I, awesome. yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I would be embarrassed to tell you the number of pull-ups I can do, but I'm enjoying it. I mean, it's, it, you definitely feel like you've had a workup or workout in a very short time. So yeah, I kind of yeah. like that. Yeah. All right. Time to say the things that you say at the end of podcast, because we are at the end of ours. First of all, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do it a lot of different ways. The way that would be kind of cool is if you called 60155-SCOPE, that's 60155-SCOPE, and leave us a voicemail with your message, your question, your feedback, whatever. But there are other methods as well. You can contact us, hello at thescoperadio.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash health. Our website is whocaresmenshealth.com. Also, subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We're on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, whatever works for you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring about men's health. 